Perdedores. A dedicated dad and long-distance parent, I'm raising two boys in two countries, and in each episode, I invite another dad to join me in a podcast adventure to talk about our journey as parents. We will discuss the messiness of modern dadding and the challenges of long-distance parenting. My name is Blue, and I am a dad without borders. Hello, and welcome back to the show. So I am exhausted this week. Um, I've just had a full weekend of skiing. Um, luckily enough, we have a three-day weekend here. Um, that's kind of how we rock as a family, uh, like many in this area. Um, so two of those days were spent taking my three-year-old skiing. He is still in diapers. Um, he's potty training, but that's a whole other topic. Um, and I don't trust him to pee his pants while skiing. Anyway, not yet. Um, so he's wearing diapers uh, and his onesie. It's pretty cute. Um, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of patience, negotiation, stamina, uh, risk management. Uh, uh, not just in terms of food and hydration, but also making sure he's not going to hit a tree. Um, and it was glorious sunshine all weekend. Um, he's on a fast learning curve, and I think just the sunshine and just hustling to get out the door with him um, and then back home in a decent time. Yeah, it's just it's a lot of energy. and It's about an hour drive for us, too. Um, so he's used to driving, and that's not a big deal, actually. Uh, I time it so that when we leave, he's eating snacks, listening to music, quite happy. And then on the way back, he is flat out sleeping. So it actually works really well. Um yeah, he's now so happy and independent up on the mountain. Uh, he listens to instructions from me. Um, that's a hard rule that I have up there. Um, he's exploring his body as he turns down the slopes, uh, exploring terrain, you know, the wind in his hair, the sunshine. Um, it's been amazing. Um, he's only been skiing a few weeks, but he's fully independent, making turns, choosing his line uh, because he's very stubborn and refuses to follow me. Um, and as a parent, and this is my second son learning to ski, uh, this is really my peak experience as a parent. I just, I absolutely love sharing my passion for something that they are really excited about as well. Um, so yeah, it's seeing them find themselves while letting go and sort of trusting, um, sharing the joy of the experience. Um, now what I've realized is just from conversations with other parents around here um, that have not necessarily had such success with their kids skiing from a young age. Um, I think what I'm going to do next week is just share some of the tips and tricks um, that I have for successfully getting my three-year-old skiing um, and skiing reasonably well. Like he's skiing like a three-year-old, but he's still, he's very confident and his turns, he's doing good with his turns. Um, and my oldest boy was the same too. Um, now, a lot of people ski with young kids, like I'm not necessarily an expert, but I do work very hard at it. And I've worked um, in outdoor education for years. So I have a lot of experience working with kids, not necessarily toddlers, um, but just the way to get instructions across um, and get them listening and doing, you know, just the way I break it down with them. It seems to work. The second one, my three year old now, um, I would say way harder like way harder than my first but his learning curve is way steeper um so he's progressing quite a lot faster than my eldest although my eldest was i would say pretty natural to it um and a very good skier so yeah the plan next week is that i'm going to share not just the ski experience skiing and instructing my younger kids to you know how to ski and you know introducing them to you know this mountain environment but also there's a lot of stuff that comes up that is that relates to day-to-day -day parenting as well um, 
And so I just, yeah, I just want to talk about that next week. Um, so that's what I will be putting out in the next. It'll be a solo cast. So just myself sharing some of my um, experiences and some of the things that work. And I will share with you um, a funny moment that happened on the Friday. Because um, what I found is the best thing to do is let him, at the moment, is let him go ahead of me. Um, now that he's got a sense of how to stop and um you know and i can keep i can stay very close to him as we go down um so he's ahead of me uh we're two-thirds away down the mountain and suddenly we see a long line of maybe eight kids with the instructor cruising alongside uh they're following each other in a line like the classic image of ducklings following their mum and they're weaving down the mountain like a snake turning left to right uh following each other at a pretty decent speed they're probably five years old. They're bigger than my boy physically. Um, so Indy catches them out of the corner of his eye and starts straight lining. That is straight, ski, skiing straight, not turning, trying to catch up with them, uh, heading towards them, shouting repeatedly, hey, kids, hey, kids, do it like this. Do it like this. Uh, and he kept hollering at them. Um, and it was really cool because clearly what was happening, he was very confident. Um, and so it was really rewarding to see him shining like that with the confidence. And, you know, it really sums up our time this weekend on the mountain. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for a dedicated episode next week um, about taking my kids skiing and learning as a parent as well some of the tricks that help me on the mountain, but not just on the mountain, but that can relate back to the day-to-day -day life of the home. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to share um, my thoughts and feelings around that. So on with today's show, and the guest, Dylan, is a man who has gone through the most grueling transition as a father, um, and we talk about life and death and becoming a parent, when he lost his wife. Um, it's actually a beautifully tragic story. Um, so there is a happy ending to it. Um, so if anybody's out there struggling or just wants to hear of a dad that's sort of how he overcame a really intense situation, this is a really great episode. He's a really great guy. Um, so yeah, if you're a dad or a parent, any parent really that's struggling, this is a great story to listen to um, because I really think if Dylan can overcome his challenges that he faced when he first became a father and he's now in a happily blended family, um, he really has some great advice uh, for others. So, as ever, please enjoy. So, Dylan, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm really excited to have you on the show and share your story. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And um, let's set the scene. So if you could just introduce your family and where you are in the world and, you know, what family life day to day looks like right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my name is Dylan. I live in Nanaimo, British Columbia. Uh, I right now I live with my son, Ivor, who is eight. I live with my fiance, Mariko, and her daughter, Isla, who is five. Uh, I moved from Victoria up to Nanaimo uh, in October of 2020, um, I met my fiance Mariko. I met her uh, on Instagram uh, in kind of September 2020. Uh, and after three weeks, uh, we got engaged and Ivor and I moved cities to move up uh, and be with Mariko and Isla. Wow. Three weeks. Yeah. Amazing. Did you, I just want to stop right there because that in itself is like, that's a big one. Um, three weeks was there a lot of like online back and forth before that three weeks like no no yeah so essentially we you know we had kind of interacted on on instagram for like a day basically and then uh the next day we got online and just kind of we did a video chat for probably eight hours um and then every single day we chatted on video for probably five hours, like every single night, kind of like I would put Ivor to bed at seven 30 and we would talk until midnight or one. I would get up in the morning. I'd call her on my, like on my way to work, on my break, on my lunch, I'd finish work, put Ivor to bed and then call. And we kind of did that uh, every day for three weeks. Um, and then it was just like, you know, we had seen each other, I think three times in person. Um, and then, uh, you know, I came up to Nanaimo to like spend the weekend with her. And before we even had our first meal, we were engaged. Wow. 
That's incredible. I can relate in the sense that me and my wife, uh, so we, yeah, we're living together with our three-year-old and we have another baby on the way. So, but before we got married, we were together like two, three years, something like that. So the first eight months, maybe, I want to say, yeah, it was probably eight months. It was like intense online dating is the best way. So kind of similar, but it was definitely longer than three weeks. But that's <laughs> that's amazing. And so, sorry, how long ago was that? So that was uh, October of 2020. So almost a year and a half ago. Oh, right into the pandemic. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was like, you know, it was, hey, are we doing this? Because realistically, like I wasn't physically seeing anybody outside of the people that were in my home like in my family and then at my work and other than that you know like I was trying even trying to avoid taking the bus to work or whatever and was walking instead just to like not be around people so it was kind of like hey we you know we met in a park for the first time and then you know it was like okay I guess like you're gonna be my person so now we're kind of in each other's bubble wow that's amazing and again I just want to stop there because I have other big questions to ask you but I'm really fascinated by that. So how has that now anybody else is thinking of rushing into something, any challenges with that? Like, were there any eye-opening moments? You obviously had talked intensely about each other and learned a little bit about each other, but yeah, what challenges come with that? If any, you know, surprisingly little. Um, I just think that, yeah, uh, only just things as far as just adapting to, you know, any relationship when you first move in with somebody, I mean, that's really the game changer, right? Because you can online date or you can date and live in separate homes. And, you know, like you can live in that honeymoon stage for years, right? It's not until you start really blending your households and you've got your daily routines and they've got theirs and uh, just kind of like amalgamating your life into somebody else's. Uh, and, uh, you know, like that's kind of where things could go sour. But realistically, they they just didn't. Um, it just we knew right away um, and we just wanted to spend all of our time together. And so we just started doing that. Um, and yeah, it was a big change. Obviously, like I, you know, I had the opportunity to, um, I mean, at the time I was still working in Victoria. And so uh, that's 130, it's 124 kilometers from Nanaimo to Victoria. And so I drove to Victoria every day for work. Um, so that was a transition of like just adding three hours a day to my day. Uh, but realistically, um, you know, and, and then I was eventually able to work from home for the most part. Um, so we just want to spend all of our time together and, um, you know, and getting our family, having their families together. I mean, it was one of, you know, it was probably a week into it that, uh, that her daughter Isla was like, oh my gosh, we're all going to sit down for dinner together. Like, and she was like, we're the happy family, you know, and like, it just melted my heart. Um, and so, yeah, just, just blending the families just went uh, as smooth as you could possibly hope for. So the kids were good. The kids were very happy with you guys coming together and being each other in each other's space. Jealousy? Uh, no, I mean, there's uh, like Isla, who's five, like, I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, she, both, I mean, both kids were, kind of, you know, by birth order, only children. Um, and so, you know, whatever, there's, uh, there's the regular things that happen with uh, children who didn't have to share and now have to share, but, uh, but nothing that's, you know, like problematic in any way. Wow, amazing. Sounds to me like as a family, you probably have, well, you can tell me a very healthy communication yeah, we really do. I think that, um, you know, fortunately, because I think that's another thing that happens when you when you're parents and you blend a household, uh, there's your parenting styles, right, which kind of have to you really have to sort that out with the other person, right? Because I mean, are you doing good cop, bad cop? Or are you, you know, who's setting the rules here? Uh, or just making sure that really you're on the same page. And, you know, fortunately, we're on the same page uh, on, you know, basically everything. And so it makes it, uh, it makes it easy. And then the kids have been happy. And, um, you know, the boundaries that we set are, you know, or they're respected. Uh, and, uh, and we also, you know, we're on the same page on how we, you know, how we handle things when they're not. So you very much step parents, as in you both share equal responsibility for both kids in terms of, um, you know, discipline, bedtime routines, all of that kind of stuff. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, it's just, uh, we, you know, it's, I don't think it's beneficial for anybody to continue treating it like, oh, this is your kid and you deal with it this way. And this is my kid and this is how I deal with it because, you know, then it's different rules for different children in the same household. And so being on the same page helps. And it's just, hey, it's both of your bedtime. Both of you go brush your teeth. Both of you get ready for school, all of that. Wow. Talk about a happy ending to, um, to a whirlwind romance. It's fantastic. And through COVID, that's something good that came out of COVID, I guess. Um, and so you have, let's share the story. And I, I don't know the full story here, but I know that becoming a father for you with your eight-year-old, so eight years ago or so, um, there it was like a beautiful tragedy of birth and death. Sometimes they do come together, the birth and death, they say. Um, but in terms of, yeah, it was kind of a crazy tragedy and also a beautiful thing I imagine so can you just share with the listeners what your experience was sure um so my late wife Robin and I we had uh, been high school sweethearts and kind of off and on for 16 years um and uh so we got married in the summer of 2013 uh we knew we like Robin was uh 32 at the time and uh, wanted to, you know, have a baby. And so we had talked about that. And so we went on our honeymoon and then we started trying. Uh, and after one month of trying, we found out that she was pregnant. And, um, and then, so we were almost five months, we were five months in and uh, I woke up one morning and Rob, my wife, Robin was throwing up. Um, and she said that she just had a really bad migraine. And uh, she asked me to look up what type of uh, headache medication a pregnant person could take. And so I looked it up and was like, oh, well, you can take some Tylenol. And so uh, we didn't have any. And so I went to the grocery store and I came back uh, and she was unconscious on the bathroom floor. And uh, they, so I immediately called 911 and uh, they came and they tried to work on her in the hallway for almost an hour and they took her to the hospital and then they told me that her brain had filled with blood, 80% filled with blood and that uh, there was 0% chance of saving her. Wow. And um, so at the time, uh, she was 22 weeks and a day far, far along pregnant. And uh, so they said that if I, if I wanted to, that they could attempt to try and save our son, Ivor, uh, it would mean that they would have to, you know, they would be keeping Robin's body alive uh, to grow Ivor inside her uh, for as long as possible. Um, with the caveat that, like, if they were only able to do it for a week or two, like, if, if the, she didn't get to, like, kind of 25 weeks along, it wouldn't really be a viable pregnancy. And so it wouldn't really be worth trying to save him. So it's, and it, so it had never been done in Canada before. Um, it had only been tried just over 30 times in medical history. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so I said, obviously, like, if this is my chance to save my son, then let's do it. And so um, they were able to keep her body alive for six weeks. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, I was meeting with a team of doctors uh, on a very regular basis and counselors and everything. Um, and, uh, and then so at 28 weeks and a day, uh, I got the call that morning that, uh, you know, like that her blood pressure wasn't able to be stabilized any longer and that that was going to be the day. And so that evening uh, they went and uh, they delivered Ivor um, and then they kept Robin on life support uh, until just after midnight so that the you know his birthday wouldn't be on the anniversary of her death um and so i had like a a five-hour window there where i was basically going from one room to meet meeting ivor uh, in the nicu uh and then going back and you know having my final time with my wife wow that's i just can't like that's so intense you had five weeks of your wife on life support still not sure whether the baby whether her body could grow the baby long enough for him to survive. Yeah. So you said already you had a team of doctors and counselors. So I assume the counselors were to support you in working. Yeah. That. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just, I mean, just obviously whatever our health, our healthcare here in Canada is fantastic. So I, I didn't have to stress about, uh, about anything other than just the, the actual situation, but yeah, we had to have kind of, you know, because the timeline of, how things would progress would change on a almost daily basis. And so they're like the doctors, as they would know what like who's on, who's on shift right now and who's on shift tomorrow, what happens if 
tomorrow her body starts failing? Who will they call and what doctors will be here to try and deliver and whatnot? And so that was kind of round the clock. Uh, you know, the nurses and doctors were, you know, just working together as a team to make sure that everything went as smoothly as possible. Wow. And did you have a family support around? Do you have family locally? Yeah. So all of, basically all of my family is here. Um, and then, as I said, my wife's Robin's family uh, had been a part of my life for half of my life at that time. And so uh, they had been and still are a big part of my life. And so they were uh, at, at my side all the time. Wow. So what you became a dad, I mean, mixed emotions, I guess there was the buildup of the baby growing. So you were very attached at that point. Yeah. Yeah. For, so because, so when Ivor was born, he was born 12 weeks early. And so he was just two pounds, 13 ounces. And so he was in the NICU for 12 weeks. And so uh, I had the benefit of, you know, knowing that during that time that he's in the best care possible. And so I got to kind of, you know, like through short spurts each day, get, take time to like, be there with him obviously he had to like spend a lot of time like in the in-, in the incubator and whatnot so it would you know i'd visit him have some skin to skin time you know like practice feeding him and then as he was growing practice changing his diapers giving him his first bath all of that took place in the hospital and so i had kind of you know i had a routine and he i knew what his sleeping patterns were and i was you know kind of growing that bond as well you know far before i, re- I was ever able to come home from him with, at the hospital right and what did, what did that look like? Was it for you? So with me, like very, very different situation, but I know I found it was a tough transition into being a dad. Um, and I've talked to other parents about this too. Just like, it's just, it's not about you anymore. Um, there's this other person that needs you and that pressure to kind of provide and turn up and show up emotionally and in all the other ways. And I remember breaking down, I said it a few times in this podcast, like, I don't know what happened. It was like a switch just went and three times I just like fell apart, just in tears, just sobbing. Um, I, I mean, I can't imagine, like in your situation, were you dealing with those kind of emotions? Were you, or you, did you feel very stable because of the counseling and the families and you very much knew what you were going into, right? In a way. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I still, it was very difficult because I was obviously, you know, I was dealing with the grief, you know, and so um, and having, you know, so when I got home with Ivor, right, because when I got home with him, he was, you know, seven pounds, he was just like a regular brand new baby. Um, and so, um, but it's, you know, it's hard to parent when you're crying uh, and grieving. And so uh, having to kind of you know, do that uh, when time allowed, because yeah, you can't really break down into a a giant sob fest when you're, you know, cuddling your baby and whatnot. Um, And so having to kind of take those moments, um, you know, rely on the support of my family. So if my mom would come over and, you know, kind of cuddle with Ivor for a long time and, you know, I could whatever go and cry if I needed to or whatever. Uh, But yeah, it was definitely a, a process. I definitely felt the, you know, that switch there as far as you know, prior to, you know, prior to having a baby, like I could sleep for 12 hours a day. And, uh, and also, you know, like an earthquake could happen and I wouldn't wake up. Um, and, you know, but then getting used to, oh, the, the, you know, there's one sound on the baby monitor uh, and, you know, it's like, oh, boom, I'm, I'm awake now, you know? And so kind of those paternal instincts that just kind of kicked in. Uh, yeah. They, that certainly happened right away. Yeah. Do you think that helps in a way deal with that grief? the fact that you had that love as well? Yeah, I think that, you know, having having a distraction from just the pain was, you know, it's beneficial, but also not, not long-term because I wasn't able to fully process the grief and, you know, until later down the road for, you know, because I had to be so invested in, you know, being there and being a dad that, you know, like sometimes I, it was just putting the grief to the side. And so I think it, it, you know, it's kind of grown out that process. So that was a, the grieving was a gradual process over a number of years, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, cause after, you know, when I, I had a relationship uh, that from what the time Ivor was two until about five uh, and in that relationship, uh, my partner was, um, I guess, jealous of my late wife. Um, and so I wasn't really allowed to talk about um, Robin and I wasn't really allowed to do any grieving. And so I, a lot of my grieving has uh, has honestly taken place like in the last two or three years um, because 
I kind of was putting it aside when I was a baby. Then I was in this relationship where I wasn't really allowed to do it. Um, and so a lot of that took place afterwards when I was single. And then now in this relationship that I'm in with Mariko, uh, she's, you know, in absolutely incredible. And so she allows me to, you know, I, like I did in my other relationship, I wasn't allowed to post anything about my late wife uh, and really acknowledge the death. Uh, and I, you know, even even a simple like, hey, today Robin would have been 37. Like that, the photo that I used had to be approved by my partner and the words that I chose in the caption, which, is, you know, it just seems so arbitrary. But, uh, you know, Mariko's very supportive of, of the, the whole thing and understands. And she's got a great relationship with Robin's family now. Um, and so uh, it all of that allows me to still go through the grieving process now. Uh, and so, yeah, it, eight years later, it's still something that I deal with uh, multiple times a year. Wow, interesting. And so that is it the trigger being a birthday, an anniversary, the kid's birthday? Is, are those the kind of things when you say you're still going through it? Yeah. So essentially, like Robin went into the hospital and was kind of like, I was told she was brain dead. That was December 28th. And then so I kind of have, you know, that's a difficult time because that's all of the memories about, you know, the event itself uh, were triggered around that. And then February 9th is when I had to, you know, kind of like say goodbye at the hospital. And so it's kind of like two death anniversaries, really. Um, and then, you know, like her birthday and uh, and then just I think that there's you know, it's other events that happen, uh, things that happen in Ivor's life that kind of give survivor's guilt in a sense, just because I wish so badly that she was here to see those things and see these milestones that happen in his life. And so, you know, it's uh, it's the sadness that, you know, knowing how badly she would have wanted to be here for that. Um, and thankfully, you know, because now he's he's learning a lot about Robin. Um, and he is, as he's learning, he's asking more questions. And there's times now where he'll say like, oh, I miss Robin. And of course, like he, you know, he never got to meet her, but now he's learning about her through just the memories and photos and stories. Uh, but, you know, there's that just kind of, you know, eventually he'll also have likely have those feelings of, oh, I wish Robin was here to be a part of this moment, even though he never really knew. And so there's all of that that comes along with milestone events that happen in, in both of our lives. So how do you find the strength to work, you know, to really become the, to be the best dad that you can be and show up? And clearly you are putting that work in, but what do you do on a day-to-day -day or a week-to-week -week basis to help? Like, do you go to a counselor regularly? Like what helps you? So I, yeah, I've definitely done some counseling and it's been helpful. Uh, I, I went to a, a bunch of counselors that weren't helpful uh, and finding the right one was was definitely helpful, but I've honestly, for me, uh, you, you know, it's just been getting outdoors. Um, you know, my name on Instagram is better with adventure uh, because literally it's, you know, undoubtedly saved my life. Um, uh, yeah, you're on Vancouver Island. There's just, you can go anywhere. There's the ocean, there's mountains, there's waterfalls, there's beaches everywhere. Um, and so I kind of really found, I guess in early 2019, I, really was like, I just need to put in the work. I need to focus on myself. I need to really, you know, if I'm going to be the best dad possible, I need to be the best version of me possible. So, you know, I did 20,000 steps a day for a year. Um, and, you know, and then I just try to get out every, like every weekend uh, and just go, you know, hey, today's the day and uh, I'm going to go out and find this waterfall or whatever. And, you know, having the process of going and driving somewhere. And of course, you know, like I took, I've taken Ivor with me everywhere I've gone for the last eight years. And so he's grown up with this, you know, like get, let's get outside. And so it's great to have him along with me for that. Um, and, building those memories but yeah getting outside has been incredibly helpful and uh, i'm a big advocate for it now so when you say getting outside are you talking just you could be sitting by a river or when you say adventure is it more about um the activity biking hiking you know what does it look like like in a week to week if you can't get out at the weekend do you get can you get out during the week I can't really just uh, just my work schedule because I you know I kind of work multiple jobs with doing some stuff online and then having an actual full day job and so I don't get a lot of chance for that uh, and so it's normally kind of hey it's a you know this is our Saturday plan is to you know go let's go to this water vault today or whatever and sometimes I you know as life progresses I there's less opportunity for me to get outside in the way that I'd like to uh, and 
you know, I definitely recognize that even 15 minutes outside can make a noticeable difference in your mental health. And uh, sometimes I just have to keep that in mind and take that 15 minutes. But for the most part, I try to, you know, at least once every week or two, you know, make an adventure of it as far as, you know, let's pick this location. We're going to drive there. We're going to go there. We're going to check it out. I'm going to take some photos and just kind of the whole process is that's the adventure for me. It's not necessarily what tool I'm going to use when I'm there or whatever. It's just, I just want to get out and be surrounded by nature. Yeah, totally. I got to say, I need that 15 minutes. It's pretty much 15 minutes in the morning if I can. And I have a dog, which really helps because she needs to go for a walk. And that 15 minutes of just like, I try not to have the phone on as well. I try to stay away from the phone in the morning. It's so tempting to scroll through Instagram. Uh, that can be a trap. Uh, we just <laughs> talked about that this morning, uh, me and the wife, because it's true. And sometimes we either of us can go through those phases of just staring at the phone too much. Um, there's been a lot going on in the news and stuff. So um, yeah, that time in the morning is so important. But I think what I like about what you're saying too, which we, I'm really bad for planning. We live in a beautiful place where we can go outside and go down to the lake or go up a mountain, whatever. But there's something about planning and having something to look forward to, which is what my wife likes. So I need to accept that. Um, but planning up ahead of time, I think it's good because you get you you're in the like throes of the week working and the family and just life's busy, isn't it? Being a dad. But having that weekend to look forward to. So my lifesaver with that. So what you do with your son is what I do with my son. But unfortunately, he's. My eldest I'm talking about, who's who's the same age, he's eight and a half. Um, and when he's here for holidays, that's where, like, that's all we do. We're outside, we're adventuring. And that's really grown our relationship in a very healthy way because we're kind of exploring and experiencing really cool stuff together and finding new places. And he loves camping. I don't know if you guys do. It sounds like you do a lot of camping. Um, not as much as we'd like to, but the times that we have gone have definitely been memorable. And uh, there's always talk of doing it more. Yeah, it's, I love that. I love being out there for, I think as a, you can switch off because you know what my kid, I don't know about yours, my, my boy scootering and now skateboarding and we have a skate park two blocks. So of course, all the time he's saying, dad, can we go to the skate park? Can we go to the right. skate park? So sometimes it's nice just to get away from the distractions. Totally. Yeah, it's nice. You know, we've like when we kind of have these plans of like, because I try to set that if we're going to a destination, like I've realized that for me uh, and for Ivor, like if we go to go up the side of a mountain, like the view isn't really what an eight-year-old cares about, you know, but like if I climbing to the top of a mountain being like, wow, look how beautiful the view is from here, doesn't really do it for, for at least for my eight-year-old. And so having something like, oh, this is a really, there's a really cool something at this beach, or this is a waterfall, like we do a lot of waterfalls, to be honest. Um, but um, something like that, where it's like, there's, you know, but like there's the a reward at the end of this hike, uh, and we're going to go and find that and then wasn't that cool. Uh, and that's kind of what we, where we put our focus into when we know we're going to get outside for something. That's good. That's a really good point for any parents that, yeah, that may be considering getting out more with their kids. You need the reward of some, mine often with skiing is mango, dried mango. Okay. Um, <laughs> treats like that help i find like if, to have some fun treats that they don't usually have when we're out camping and hiking and things it's just that extra i guess yes yeah, the extra, just the reward really in addition to the experience that they're having um slight tan well it's not a tangent but jericho uh sorry no jericho beach let me think of the wonder fuca trail that's what i'm right. trying to think of have yep. you done that I haven't done the trail, but all of the like the main beaches that are like China Beach, French Beach, Sankat Beach, Mystic Beach, Sombrio Beach, and then uh, the Botanical Beach. Like I've hit all of those beaches and waterfalls, uh, you know, dozens of times. So uh, I spent a lot of time uh, driving on the road that goes adjacent to the trail. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and being on the beaches that are on the trail, but I haven't uh, I haven't taken the time to. You know, it's it's a big uh, undertaking to say, hey, I'm going to take three or four days really out of my life and go and do this gigantic walk. And, uh, you know, I, I just uh, I, I'm jealous of the people that have done it. I just don't know how badly I need to do it because I like cause the spots that are there that I've already visited. I'm like, hey, I can't I can't for you. They're pretty good spots. Yeah. And you can access most of it by vehicle. You're right. It is amazing. It takes about, I've done it. I usually do it in five days, which is kind of giving you an extra day, but 
Um, it's part of my outdoor ed. I've done it about three times with uh, group, big groups of teenagers. But eight-year-olds, I don't know. My kid's not, we've not really done the hiking thing. He likes biking. Um, we're trying, yeah, maybe this year will be the Alpine year where we get up into the Alpine for a day trip. Um, amazing. Like, I just, I'm blown away by how you've managed to keep trucking and create this amazing relationship with your kid and nature hundred percent is a huge help. Like when did that happen? Like, was that when he was very young that you realized that you needed to get out and have a venture for your mental health? You know, so my, my, the partner that I mentioned earlier that, you know, wasn't very supportive of my grief did like to get out and adventure a lot. And so we just did that because uh, that was something that she wanted to do. Um, and so at the time I was, you know, getting out and enjoying these new places, but I wasn't really, appreciating them for uh you know they were just kind of like oh that's what just what we did this weekend um and so after her and i broke up uh that's when i realized that like gosh i really needed that um and uh and so by trying to focus on you know on myself and improving i was like i i, I need to go kind of revisit all of those places um that's where i and i started really kind of honing in my passion for photography at that time and so I was like, I'm going to go back to all of those places and more. I'm going to start taking a lot of pictures and just really appreciating the beauty that's out there. And so that's when I realized how helpful it was being for my mental health was the first few visits out there where, uh, yes, I was doing, I was walking to work and home and back and to get Ivor and all of this and getting in all the steps. But once I, once the weekend came and I was like, okay, Ivor, like you and me are going to go, whatever, we're going to drive for three hours and we're going to go find this waterfall and we're just going to hang out there for a few hours and come back. That's when I would, I would get home, put Ivor to bed and realize, wow, like, wow, my, my mental health is so much better today. And so then I started just taking advantage of that as much as I could. So is the creativity also an important part of your life in terms of mental health? Because I find the creativity, say I'm doing this podcast. Um, yeah, it's something I hadn't appreciated before. Like if as a photographer, is that something you really spend a lot of time doing as well then? Um, so fortunately, I don't spend a lot of time doing it. Uh, like I take, when we go places, I take a lot of photos. But uh, so I take, you know, I take all of my photos with my phone. I don't have a regular camera. Um, and so... Uh, I'm fortunate that I can, you know, most of my photos, I spend less than five minutes editing a photo before I post it. And so there's definitely, um, there's some mental release with just like the creative aspect of it, of like, you know, taking a photo that, you know, cause any place that's popular here, like everybody's already seen lots of photos from it, but you know, but this one is mine. Um, and so, um, you know, this is the way that I saw it through my eye at that place in time. And, uh, I enjoy doing it and getting the, you know, the positive feedback from it. Um, and also one thing that I've found since this account has grown a lot is that um, when it's, when it's inspiring other people to get outside, uh, whether it be for their own mental health or just like, Hey, I've lived on this Island for 20 years and I've not gone to this place that you've posted these photos of like, why, why haven't I just gone here? Can you tell me where it is? And like, you know, and I'm like, yeah, here, this is exactly where it is. And sometimes those same people will go to that place and then tag me and be like, Hey, thanks for telling me where this is. Here's a photo of me and my family at this swing on the side of a mountain or whatever it may be. And uh, that's super rewarding to feel like I'm helping other people to get outside as well. But I think as well, you're giving people an opportunity to connect with your story through these photos because of the struggles you've been through to see someone rising up and getting out there and really living a wholesome life with your family. I think that there's a lot of reward that will come back with that. I don't doubt. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people that have followed us for, you know, for eight years and from Facebook and now on to Instagram, um, you know, I, I definitely feel well supported that way. Um, and I've been, you know, since being with Mariko, uh, kind of sharing this new story of, you know, love finding love and, you know, and blending our families and uh, the support from, you know, people all over the world who, um, you know, who obviously were following because of, you know, the loss of Robin and this tragedy, but are now, you know, still here and are very supportive of like, hey, you know, we're so glad to see that you found such a special relationship. Uh, and so, you know, having those people that just, you know, that they're just there following along and, and being supportive. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling for sure. 
Yeah, I gotta say when I when I saw that post, because I, I saw the the early posts of you know kind of what you went through, and you posted one of your wife in the hospital bed, and then there's I don't know, it's kind of a fascination and a joy that I felt, and like all these mixed feelings of like how uh, how does he? Um, yeah, it's really touching, and I I agree. Going just being a single dad, which was for a couple of years co-parenting, but I was like you know half the time just me and my kid having Instagram, having social media, and being able to have you know, just interacting with people, see a bigger community than the one just around you, reaching out and sharing likes and, you know, sending you that love kind of online. It, it definitely really helped me for sure. Um, very different situation, not to compare my situation to yours in any way, but just that's the power of this, these online communities that we have to feel something, a part of something bigger. Totally. Really nice. I think even, you know, during, especially during COVID, you know, um, like when, you know, for, you know, for the better part of whatever, a year or whatever, when you really couldn't see a lot of people who were in your circle, you know, even your own family members, if you didn't live with them, you know, you shouldn't be seeing each other for X amount of time and whatnot. And so, you know, when I would get out for adventures or me and Ivor would get out for adventures and then, you know, I post this and then now I'm having interactions with people and, you know, we're all kind of not seeing each other, but also still kind of feeling connected, uh, you know, thanks to Instagram. And uh, so not feeling so alone by, you know, by having this platform, uh, you know, that's also very helpful. Yeah, hundred percent. So talking about not being connected and being separated from loved ones, of course, your boy's mom passed away how do you so how do you tackle that piece like how does that show up for him does like how like behavioral issues or is it you just talk to him a lot about it does he have do you have you been to counselors together or anything like what do you no, what can you do yeah, to support no, him? no counseling together um we like again no behavioral issues as a result of it i mean ivor is just, just a gentle sweet little boy um and you know, I think that, so he's got red hair like his mom. Um, and so, you know, like the, the conversation is always there, even with strangers, you know, it's like, it's weird, but people, strangers are like, oh, where did he get his red hair from? And, uh, you know, like, it's, yes, it's both sides of our family, but, uh, but yeah, his late mom had red hair. And uh, so that, I mean, it comes up and then we, I've just tried to always really just honor her memory uh, and by sharing you know, hey, just so you know, like this was her favorite song. We used to go to this place. Here's a photo of her. Um, and, you know, like now he's seen every photo and video that I have of her um, and um, and spending time with, you know, he spends time with her parents, uh, you know, on a regular basis. And so there's just whatever there's photos, there's stories. And that's kind of that's, you know, that's what I have to, you know, is all I have is photos and stories now. And so sharing with that, you know, and then he's, you know, when he has questions, because sometimes he just, you know, and sometimes he'll ask them repeatedly, but it's, you know, like once, once every month or whatever, how did Robin die? And then what happened? And like, why did her brain stop working and things like that? And so re-explaining it as his you know understanding level increases he might ask the same question again but now he's kind of processing it differently and so just being open to the idea of having those conversations whenever he wants and needs to have them right that sounds a really good way to support it do you have um by the way does he call her mom or robin uh he calls her robin um yeah and so he just yeah he hasn't really we haven't really been in a mum situation like he knows guess, yeah like, yeah he he knows that uh that you know that he was in robin's tummy and that she was his mom and uh and so there's times where he'll like he'll say oh i have two moms because he'll say robin was my mom and now mariko's my mom and so but for the most part he'll he says you know like oh i miss robin or robin died that type thing right and do you have like a photo album of her or anything like that or pictures up in the house how do yeah. you, is there like a yeah like a altar almost of like robin's picture so i when i when before my relationship with my jealous partner i had several I had like lots of photos of Robin up and then uh you know there was insecurities around that and so I took some of them down uh but yeah we always I mean it's just I mean I don't want to call it a rule but you know I try to make sure there's always going to be a photo of Robin up that's somewhere that Ivor can see um and then you know like and then he's he knows that the photos are on my phone anytime he wants to see and sometimes he'll just ask or he'll ask me to cast them onto the tv um and so uh no no physical albums but I mean I, I don't have a physical album of any photos at this point it's either uh you know my photography which has like you know been blown up and is 
used in a frame on a wall uh, or it's just a uh, digital I started using the online photo albums that you can just kind of pull it together from Instagram or from Google Drive or wherever you, your photos are stored for my boy who's overseas. So he has, usually if we've had a holiday or a big trip, then I'll do a photo album, like a physical one so that he can have it. Because I've noticed that he really likes to flick through the pages in his own time right. when he feels like he's missing us. Um, sometimes he phones and um, on FaceTime. And uh, he'll be there with one of the albums. Not that often, but, you know, he may have a question about one of the photos. So I've, yeah, I've really embraced that. I just, for my boy being apart from us, uh, it works really well. And I think a friend of mine, his, his ex-partner, his ex-wife had created a dad album for their son. So that when he's not with dad, he has this dad, which is really cute. And I think that's where I got the idea first, actually. But, um, but that's great that you're keeping, so you're keeping your life. It's amazing that, yeah, that you can have such a close connection with her family too. I'd be really, that sounds really healthy for him. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's nice because there's, I mean, it's, there's no awkwardness at all. And they're, I mean, they're just the kindest people. They're super friendly. Um, uh, they've been, you know, very welcoming of Mariko and Isla. Um, and you know, during the summer, um, you know, Mariko has developed a real relationship with them. So uh, like in the summer when I'd be working in Victoria, she would just bring both kids down and then just spend the whole day at their house. Um, and so having my partner have that type of close relationship with Robin's parents uh, has been, you know, it's just great. And it's, it allows that relationship between Ivor and, and Robin's parents to continue to grow forever. And Robin has, you know, she has sisters as well. So them and, and their kids uh, all have a relationship with Ivor. And, uh, you know, that's just great for him for his whole life. He's got a giant support network. Yeah, it's amazing. Super healthy. So what do you, do you have something that you guys do? each year at any one of the anniversaries to remember mum or Robin? Um, not really. It kind of, it, it kind of goes as it goes. We try like, it just, it changes every year um, because the anniversary of Robin passing away is the day after Ivor's birthday. Uh, I try to just do something important for Ivor's birthday every year. Um, and I try to, you know, I try to not work. That's kind of my ritual is uh, during December 28th and February 9th. I'm trying to, I try to make sure that I'm not working on those days so I can have them as mental health days for myself. Um, and then for having Ivor's birthday, we try to do something that's memorable around then just so that, it, you know, he doesn't, I don't ever want him to feel like, oh, I'm down because of the day afterwards. And so I try to, you know, of course, just make it, make it about him and not about me. And is, is there a, gra a grave site or somewhere that you can go and sort of have that quiet time sometimes? Yeah, there is. Yeah, in Victoria, I've actually Ivor asked to go there uh, last year. And so I took him for the first time. Um, and uh, so that was, you know, like, he because he didn't really get it. You know what I mean? Because uh, so Robin was cremated. And it is, you know, it's a weird concept to as a, you know, a seven year old at the time to say, we're going to go to this place where she is ashes, and she's in the like, you, and not, you know, to explain to him, like, you're not really going to see anything other than a piece of cement with her name on it. Um, and, you know, uh, and so, you know, like once we got there, he realized like, this is all that this is. And then, you know, of course, like, okay, it was like, okay, he's going to go back to the car and I'm going to stand here and cry my face off, you know? Um, and, you know, but, uh, you know, but obviously anytime, if he ever wants to go again, then we will, we will go. But other than that, uh, I just go, sometimes I've gone on those anniversaries and things like that, just as a, you, you know, it's just a, a place I, I know I can go and just uh, cry and be fine, be okay to cry and, not, and no one's there to judge or not that anybody's judging anyway, but. I was going to ask, actually, you just said about your son going back to the car and you crying. Do you cry in front of him? Like are you quite emotionally open about your feelings? Because you've had a lot going on over the years, of course, with the grieving as well. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, I try to not cry in front of him uh, just because, he, you know, like not and not out of weakness or whatever. So like for clarity, I cry uh, often uh, just about like commercials or whatever, really. Um, so I do, uh, I also do, so I, I like on Instagram, I, I do all of the marketing and posting for an outdoor clothing brand called GTF Outside. And so their whole mission is to get people outside for their mental health. And so um, I've helped grow that page from 
5,000 to 13,000 followers in this last year. And we, we literally just post a message about getting outside for your mental health. We, we post three times a day. Here's something beautiful outside. Here's two posts about new people that have joined up. Everyone's getting outside for their mental health. And then every Thursday, I do a, an Instagram live call with one of the ambassadors and we just talk about their mental health. And I've probably done 40 of those now and I cry at all of them. There's no, like, like <laughs> these are strangers. Sometimes I'm three minutes in and I'm like, oh no. And I, of course I'm gonna look at my own stupid face crying, knowing that like this is live and recorded and everybody else is gonna see me crying, but I can't stop it. I just can't. Um, and I'm just emotional that way. And so like I was used to seeing me cry because like, you know, cause I, after, as soon as these calls are over I kind of take a moment to compose myself and then I just have to go and just, you know, I'm, I'm oh, now it's dinner time or whatever, right? But like, undoubtedly, I'm like, you know, wiping my face of the free of the tears. So, uh, yeah, so I don't try to hide it in that sense of like, oh, don't ever let me see me cry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like when it comes to the Robin stuff, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll cry if I, if it's, you know, something that's really overwhelming. But for the most part, um, you know, I try to keep it discreet. Yeah, I, I love that. That's great. Good for you, man. I'm kind of the same. Uh, you know, seeing some moment in the Olympics or an advert, you know, some things like that. Although I haven't watched any of the Olympics, I've had zero interest this year for some reason. But um, I'm with you. But good for you. I imagine the gr a grieving cry, missing Rob, might look a bit different as well. Maybe that's you just need space to kind of just really let it go. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. It's some. It's just uh, yeah. There's something different about having a lot of your own emotion into like this is the reason that I'm crying, other than just like, you know, oh somebody else is telling me something that's emotional, or like, you know, gosh dang that commercial got me again, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, I hate that one. I often try and hide that though because it's kind of embarrassing. The wife will look over and goes, "You crying? No, no." <laughs> Just, uh, just the contact lens bugging me. <laughs> yeah, Marigo catches me doing it all the time. Like sometimes I'll just be showing you something. He's like, "Oh, look at this hockey hockey player's retirement ceremony," and all of a sudden, you know, I'm welling up there. I love it. Um, as a guest on my show, an old friend of mine said um, early on, Pablo, crying is sexy. But no, when he real when his wife let him know that crying was actually sexy, he just was like, "That was it." I was she gave me the thumbs up, and yeah, he just loves get <laughs> letting his emotions fly. Um, that's a yeah, what an amazing story! I'm just so touched by it, and I'm so touched by your um, yeah, your ability to keep trucking. And it sounds like maybe just being very open and emotional, probably you know, maybe that's partly helped you as well. I would imagine not bottling it up so much. Yeah, I, I got to say, ever since I've now had the freedom to post about my feelings, um, it's, it's incredibly helpful. Um, it's, you know, there's, I mean, I think that if it's not scientifically proven yet that bottling up your feelings isn't helpful, uh, then, you know, like, I don't know, it's, pro it's proven in my books, for sure. I just think that being able to talk about your feelings and just express like, hey, here's what I'm going through today uh, or this week. And this is why I'm having these difficult times. Uh, I mean, it's, there's whatever, it's cathartic. It's, it's helpful to just kind of put the, whatever, the put the fingers to the, to the phone or the pen to the paper uh, and, and get that out. And then also one thing that, you know, I've found is that uh, as we all know, like you never know what somebody else is going through. And so by sharing uh, kind of, you know, the, the reality of what you're going through, you, like you're almost certainly helping somebody else. And so, and that's why I kind of do, I mean, that's why I'll do something like this, or that's why I post and share about like my actual feelings is because like, because I've had people who have written back and said like, you know, even as far as like, hey, you seeing your photos helped me to get out of bed every day, or, you know, like realizing that I, you know, that you, it's okay to share about this now has allowed me to start sharing about things. And uh, if I mean, if I'm helping somebody, I mean, that's what else could you ask for? 100%. And just to circle back, just to sort of uh, drive that point home about crying, and that it's not healthy to bottle things up. I remember a counselor that I worked with early on um, around my kid moving away overseas. And she, incredible information. Like if she wasn't, I mean, she's one of the best counselors I've been to because she was very much focused on family attachment and how to, yeah, how to build that attachment, how to work with it. And um, 
she said the one thing you really don't want your kid doing as he gets older is bottling up those emotions because as an adult that's going to be a problem so you want to encourage him to cry and actually I think this year was the first year um when I drove him to the airport that he did actually cry openly and he hadn't been doing that before he's done it a couple times but so I really encourage that um I haven't really let it go in front of him I could but I don't know I just have this yeah I can't it's that kind of male kind of toughness I want to show him but at the same time yeah so I haven't quite got where you're at but right. uh, I'll take that on I'll take that on board your inspiration there yeah I mean yeah at the end of the day but you know there's no shame in it right and I think that that you know the the masculine kind of oh like you know keep those feelings bottled up I mean who was it helping you know, I just like, it's, I just, I firmly think it's just one of those things that especially men don't share their feelings. I mean, look, I'm, I'm already, I'm going to start crying. even just talking about it. I just caught it. You'll get, you're starting to get a bit weepy. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, but it is just one of those things that because like, you know, I've one of the posts that I made on GTF outside a while ago was like, when is the last time a male in your network reached out to say, Hey, I need help. I can't think of it actually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and like, and that's just, I mean, that's part of the problem, right? It's just that like the masculinity of like, oh, I, like I can't ask for help. I can't reach out to a friend and say, I'm having a tough time right now. Or, hey, do you have time to, do you have the emotional space to yeah, let me chat your ear off for a while? It just doesn't happen uh, realistically. And we're near as much as like, because it's, it's not as though men are not experiencing these problems, right? We're just not sharing it and talking about it. Uh, and that, right, I mean, that ties right into the like, why are we too proud to cry when when you're sad or going through challenging times? Yeah, 100%. And you're right. And I, I'm a little sad. One of the reasons to do this podcast was because I find it, I find that my wife, it's very easy for her to reach out to a friend and say, hey, can we go for a walk down by the river and catch up? Because I'm having this thing about work or, you know, I was stressed out because whatever it might be. And I find that dads, they're not going to do that. They won't make the time in the same way. If I said, hey, do you want to go skiing? Do you want to go climbing? Do you want to go skateboarding? Which I took up maybe foolishly because of my eight-year-old boy. Um, But yeah, they're more likely to be drawn to an activity, which is fine because then you can share and things, but it's not the same. Sometimes I just want to sit down and have a cup of tea and just shoot the shit. And this podcast is about as close as I can seem to get to that at the moment. But I probably need right. to put the extra work in um, and start phoning people and, you know, actually trying to make it happen. But yeah. Yeah, you do. But you also like we're still in a place society wise where like you could put out that energy and say, hey, like I need to chat or whatever. But some the, a guy on the other end of that phone still needs to be prepared to have that conversation with you. And I mean, that's right. It's a two sided barrier that we need to get through where it's OK. You know what I mean? Where like. I can just message somebody and go like, Hey man, you know, like, can we, can we chat? Or there's like, Hey, even if you don't have time to chat, like, can I just type out what I'm going through right now? And just whatever, read it and just go like, sorry to hear you're going through that just so that you can feel like you can express yourself, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. So do you have a, a small group of friends or do you, have you ever been part of a men's group, like an organized kind of thing? Um, so only in the sense, so I went to a thing after Robin passed, I went to a thing called camp widow. Um, so there's a thing called Camp Widow for uh, widows and widowers, and it happens uh, the, a few locations in the U.S. and once in Canada, and it happens several times a year. And it's like a weekend seminar with like 300 little seminars built into it uh, that help widows and widowers through all stages of grief. And, you know, like from uh, my partner just died to, hey, it's 19 years later and, you know, here's where we're at. Uh, and so within that there was a men's group uh that you know like as out of the probably 400 people that were at that conference there was like 16 guys um and so we just met in a room and just kind of like told our story or whatever and then we kind of kept in touch online but uh for the most part like you know we just share stuff every now and then but uh but i don't yeah i don't really have uh these days i I feel like especially now that i've moved cities I, i don't really have like a close-knit group of friends whatsoever really i've got one guy that i go motorcycle riding with uh and then other than that you know mariko is my best friend and i just share everything with her yeah i'm yeah similar i mean i do have some male friends around but it's you're right with the family and being dad it's i find the women still they're much better at getting together 
Um, and so I'm sort of often tailing, tailing on the back of that gathering and all the other dads are that, you know, it's so all the wives are coming together and the dads are sort of getting, I shouldn't say dragged along because it's a fun crowd and we're all friends, but it's, yeah, they're much more the instigators of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Dylan, it's been so great to chat and hear your story. It's amazing. Um, and I'm going to put in, I wrote a couple of things down and I might follow up with you for the show notes, Camp Widow, the GTF outside, I think was the other thing. I'd like to share that as well. Cause it sounds like you do yeah. some really interesting lives. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Every Thursday, 630 Pacific time. Okay, perfect. I'll write that down. And we've got your Instagram account as well. Better with adventure, right? That's right. Perfect. You got it. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. I think it's really, you've got a really inspirational story and I'm still tripping that you were together three weeks and then you got married and boom, it's just, <laughs> it's working out like magic. Like it's meant to be. That's the thing. That's the way I feel too. Well, thanks, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. A uh, lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I look forward to kind of going back to your archives, seeing more of your story and uh, just watching as this grows too. Yeah, thanks, man. And uh, I'll see you on Instagram. Yeah, you betcha. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please do share and subscribe and leave a rating or an even better, a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Please find us on Facebook and Instagram at Dab Without Borders and a full list of episodes can be found at dabwithoutborders.com. Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next time.